What's up, Chris? Hey, Aaron. How are you? Good. What are we talking about today? We're going to talk about how the internet's changed how we consume art, or photography in particular, I think, today. Okay. Can I slip in some non-photography stuff, too? If you have to. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Bit Depth, a conversation about the intersection of art and technology. chatting about this for a little while, right? How the internet's changed, how we consume art, how we produce art. And I have I have a thesis today, and it's it's that it's not good or bad, right? I think as we talk about this, like it's a little bit of both. But I think what's really important is to understand how the changes in consumption affect our perception of art that may have been very different 20 years ago. And it's important to be mindful of that. The same way that like it's important to be mindful of like other biases you might have with the constant bombardment of, you know, images and work that's similar, I think it starts to change and warp how we, how we personalize and, and really like take in art. And I think if you think about it, if we talk through it a little bit, um, maybe the next time someone's out there like going through Instagram or at a gallery or an art fair or on a website or on Facebook, um, maybe they'll have a little different perception of, of the work. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds good. All right, where do we start? I'll start at the beginning, right? Like in the in the dark ages, 20 years ago. Let, let's talk about how people consumed art then. All right. Take me on a journey. So so pre-internet, Aaron, like, you know, museums, right? Books, magazines, art fairs, art galleries. But all these things are pretty slow consumption models. Would you would you agree? Yeah, that makes sense. You're walking around, you're seeing one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. So like you said before that like when you do museums, like you're very quick about it, right? Like for museum going people. But even then, you're 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 much slower than it takes to swipe to the next photo on Instagram. I'm the fastest museum goer, you know. <laughs> but still uh, a thousand times slower than scrolling through a feed on a website or Twitter or Instagram, right? Sure. Absolutely. So I think I think that that time and delay, like even being forced to walk between pieces at an art fair or in a gallery or, you know, take some time to study a page in a book. I think that forces you to really to really study the work and really maybe be a little bit more mindful of of what the artist was trying to put out there, um, much more so than you do in, you know, half a second or a second when you glance at a photo on a website. I might offer that. That could be the very reason why galleries and museums still exist. Sure. And maybe no, later, heard. well, maybe later we can touch on also like digital versus non-digital origins of work. But e- even if you said, okay, all of the work was non-digital to begin with, like it's a painting. Why do people want to hang their work, their paintings in a museum? Because they're big and then people can see them far away and up close they can take their time. There's there's sort of like an auspicious thing about museums too. I don't know if that factors into your thinking. There's a, there's an experience that goes along with it. it you, are you saying that that experience can change the way you would view it? If you saw that same painting in a in a magazine or a book, you would uh, it, it would mean something different to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And not all museums are created equal either. 
some museums are experiences in and of themselves, even before you get to the work on the walls. And that puts you in a frame of mind that just, I feel like that doesn't exist when you open the Instagram app. Right. And is the same true for photographs, at least for you? For like, do I feel the same way about looking at photographs in a museum? Yeah, in a gallery or museum versus uh, Instagram. Yeah, 100%. 100%. But as soon as you mentioned galleries, museums, my mind immediately jumped to the fact that you can just see the work better. Instagram will never be as good as seeing a print, even an 8x10 print has so much more detail in it than you can make out on Instagram, right? Oh, it's really, what really kind of got me on this topic is that I went to uh, a Peter Like gallery. I actually went to two of his galleries and say what you want about Peter Like. Um, his work in person is absolutely stunning, right? Like it is mind-bogglingly stunning. When you look at a, a six-foot print that's tack sharp with your nose against it and you step back 20 feet and it looks amazing, it is, it is a sight to behold. If you look at his work on the website, it is um, much less so, would be the kind way of saying it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it translates very well. I think there are some people out there who are doing tremendous work building websites to try to highlight the quality of their work. But I think it's very hard to convey, uh, in certain cases, the, the type of work. If, example, if you're making large panoramic photos like Peter does, right, like I do. Um, you know, if your work looks best at, you know, six to 20 feet, putting that as like basically a thumbnail on Instagram, Twitter, Vero, even a website, um, you're never going to appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, maybe there's something here about what the medium is best at. And it seems like the majority of people are consuming various media on phones. And one thing a phone is particularly bad at is panoramas it's basically impossible to appreciate a panorama on a phone i think it's funny that phones now have panorama shooting built into them when right you basically like the way that you view a i have an android phone the way that you view a panorama made in google photos is basically like a vr mode where you move the phone around and it pretends you're looking through a window at the panorama because that's the only way you can actually appreciate it is one like one-to-one -one segment at a time. Yeah, so you're stumbling right into my second talking point, right? How do we how do we consume art now, right? And we, we we've hit it, right? It's Instagram, it's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's websites, it's it's it, it's Vero Vero. I don't know how you actually say the name, but that seems to be popular photographers now. Um, but all these all these things have have the same things in common, right? They're they're small, uh, scaled down versions of your work. Uh, and they're, and they allow people to consume work incredibly quickly. I watch people scroll through Instagram and it has to be, you know, a hundred photos a minute that some of the times when they're just like flying through these things. So, you know, are they, are they missing things they would otherwise like, Are is it forcing conformity because like, are people trying to create work that will get that person who's scrolling a million miles an hour to say, Ooh, look at that and stop. And is that forcing is that changing the way art is being produced now in the world? Yeah, that's interesting. There, there's, um, there's a, there's a, uh, a topic being discussed quite often now on various other podcasts and blogs about how TikTok has changed consumption of video specifically. So this is 
slightly off the f- the f- the photography topic, but people credit the TikTok algorithm with basically almost like a mind reading level of insight. And it's much more like Pandora, if you ever used Pandora radio, of course, than it is, right? There's something there about scrolling your Instagram feed and seeing the people you specifically follow and stuff that's like that. And YouTube is kind of like that too. It's um, there's probably a term for this in in like the search tech world around the snowball effect of like if if you base your search results rankings entirely on how much something is clicked, the thing that rises to the top then gets clicked more because it's at the top, which keeps it at the top. So right. you need to introduce some randomness to make it interesting. If you scroll Instagram, you like you you literally only see things that they are pretty sure you like which also means you never expand your horizons. Instagram is a bad way to discover art. TikTok seems like a very good way to discover certain content creators because they've figured out this way to just like introduce more unexpectedness into the mix. And um, YouTube hasn't really figured it out either, although I probably on my YouTube homepage see more unexpected things than I do on um, like Instagram, for instance. My Instagram is very uniform. It's a little bit eclectic because I follow some weird people, but Instagram makes sure that then it stays in that world. So is art now driven by the algorithms of the big five tech companies? Is that what we're getting to? Um, Because everyone wants to get to the top of their search rankings. So everyone is gearing work towards certain algorithms. So are we, are we beholden now to, you know, the, um, you know, TikTok and Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, and YouTube for, are, are they unintentionally with their rankings dictating what the majority of art being created today is? Yes. And I say that with, so I want to say yes and no, but probably mostly yes. And I'm saying that with the confidence of somebody that knows the existence of Spotify has changed the average length of a track. Because tracks right. ha- tracks aren't played on the radio anymore, so nobody has to hit the space Three between minutes. commercial breaks. Like, yeah, you can do what you want. And I lament the death of the album. People still release albums, but nobody listens to an album. Nobody like sits down and prepares themselves mentally for listening to the progression of tracks through an album while doing nothing else. Uh, you th- you throw on Spotify, you put it on your favorite Spotify radio station or playlist while you're mowing the lawn, and that's it. Very few people sit down in their big easy chair, put on an LP, and let the needle go from the outside to the inside, which is not something I ever did either. But I'm I'm trying to make the point that you're like that you're art- like you're like a month away of Amazon orders from having a turntail behind you, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> I thought of I thought about it. Yeah, exactly. You can get a really nice turntable for not a lot of money, but I, I'm not sure if I would <laughs> spend the looked, time. Right. No, I don't know if I'd spend the time. I, I don't know if that's the way that I want to co- consume music anyway, but I'm trying to make the point that, yes, the platformization of media has created a very strong force that has influenced people who want to be noticed. Uh, it's such an interesting thing, too, because you're right. Like, So Spotify has like greatly expanded the genre and uh, creativeness of artists. And there's a lot of people, and not everyone, there are people that stand out, but there are a lot of people uh, in the photography world who really like went in the exact same direction, right? They saw what was working for a few, and then this massive crowd followed, and all of a sudden, 
everyone's photos start to look exactly alike, right? They're all highly saturated color photos of almost the same location, right? I mean, if you, you pick any spot known in America for photography, and I'll go find you 500 photos that all could have been taken by the same person. Let me play devil's advocate for a second. What you said might be true, and I, I honestly don't spend enough time on Instagram to know myself if it is as true as you say it is. But at least for music, something else that happened is that although in some ways the 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 big middle of the bell curve is homogenized, the the two other ends can get longer. There's more people doing weird stuff. You can... You can have For a following sure. and an audience and be noticed because it, you don't have to get on the radio anymore. There's a trillion ways that you can get your music into the ears of people who like it. I would say the same is true for art. Whether it's on Instagram or not is a different question. Maybe Instagram isn't the right place to discover. Oh, no, I mean, you're 100% right. I have, I have notes here with the positives, right? And like, one, I mean, the, the first positive that like, you know, 30 years ago, if you weren't in an art gallery or a museum, like maybe you did art fairs or maybe no one ever saw your work, right? Maybe the most people who saw your work were your friends and family when you played slides on a projector, right? Now, you know, you have a choice of platforms, right? Easy websites with Squarespace or just social media or anywhere else display all kinds of weird and creative work. And there are people out there making amazing stuff. I'm thinking of the Grainy Days guy on YouTube who makes uh, incredible film photography. You got Nick Carver, uh, large format film photographer guy out there, right? Even Thomas Heaton shooting digital, but making like really compelling work that does not fit the uh, the stereotype of sort of the common Instagram photographer at all. Um, and, you know, these people probably wouldn't have near the following they would without the internet, right? YouTube and websites and social media have given these guys a platform to be able to showcase their work and be supported. Yeah. Patreon too, just the ability for what do they call that? I mean, that's that's it's the way that essentially all artists made money in the Renaissance was like patronage, right? You had you, you had some patron, the patron paid you money, you made art. This was known to be of great benefit to culture and society and to the patrons themselves who coveted the art that they had made for them and compared it with other patrons. <laughs> um, but now we have Patreon. So now anybody can just ask to be paid to be a creator. Right. And there are people doing all sorts of wacky stuff and making a living because they've just found like the several thousand people who are interested in it. I think that's great. Getting back to the consuming visual art topic. Yeah. I think the internet has also changed, if not outright created, an ability to consume um natively digital works and i love talking about generative art so like this is sure. some some kinds of art that are created on a computer that never existed anywhere outside of a computer and they very easily move onto the internet in various ways and some of them are interactive or uh animated uh i think the interactive ones are of particular interest like how else would you ever consume that work you need a mouse to do it right no, it's super interesting. And it's a whole, listen, the internet has done like marvelous things, right? And created uh, a whole new world world for a variety of genres. I just lament a little bit the 
the attention span deficit that we now have when when looking at work. And I think people would would do well to whether it's online or at an art fair in a gallery, just to spend a little more time looking at a broad range of work. They might be surprised what they grow to like, what they find that they that they enjoy if they if they spend a little time to poke around and maybe even outside of what you know normally lands on their on their feed. Two topics to to jump off onto. One is I wonder how much this is actually a new problem, an internet problem. It it may be a case that the internet has exacerbated or magnified a problem that existed before, but I wonder how many people pre-internet also would just like get a photography magazine and flip just through it without reading through anything. It. Just blast through it and see oh, what I they don't see. Know. You, had to, you, had to buy, you had to buy the magazine or someone had to give it to you. That was a thing, right? Like, you, you know, when the magazine's over, it's you're, you're done looking at things. There's no end to the internet, right? You, you, never, you never scroll through the photos and say, well, that's it. I've seen everything on Instagram, right? Like you can't, you won't live long enough to do that. So, um, you know, photography, the magazines were very finite. And I think, you, some people sure like maybe they bought it scroll through it and it's all it's all garbage don't like it and like whatever right or or stop on the one page that they liked but i think for most part people would spend a little more time looking at that than they would looking at uh someone's website or um you know a feed on twitter instagram wherever counterpoint aren't there people who don't consume art or yeah in that way online people who do spend more time sure there are and i think those people and and look they're able to find all kinds of genres that probably wouldn't have existed without the internet as we spoke about right so they have a whole new world of things to explore so it's you know a much broader area for them now to go consume from is it like pre-internet there were people who sought out art and so they spent more time consuming it because they sought it out because they cared about it there was something that they wanted there and yeah. now now all of the people that weren't in that category have smartphones with Instagram installed on it. And so they're scrolling it for some other reason. And like those people existed before they just didn't, they, they yeah. weren't going to, they weren't going to go get in their car and drive to the gallery to look around before, no. and they're still not going to do it today. And so who actually cares? Yeah. There's this interesting tidbit though, of like, if you are going to consume art, I put in our show notes here, um, you know, Mike Kelly told the story to the F stopper guys. Right. And it was super interesting. So he's a he's a well known like very high end photographer, right? And everyone knows who he is. He has a website. He has a beautiful website, like as nice as you could make one, right? That showcases all of his work. And when he goes to meet with a client, he doesn't give them a CD. He doesn't give them a thumb. Oh, God, I'm old. A CD or a thumb drive. He doesn't point them to his website. He hands them an actual book of his work. And he talked about when he changed doing that, it increased his sales tremendously. And, and all these guys have seen his work, right? They've been to his website. They've seen his Instagram feed, right? The website has more photos than the book could ever have, right? It has testimonials, the whole thing, right? Uh, but when he hands them the book, he gets more business. Because my, my theory here is that when you have that tangible thing, when you flip through and you consume it, when you look at it, you consume it differently. And, and maybe at a deeper level. Presentation matters. I agree with that. Well. You're no fun. If you're not going to argue with me, like what are we going to do for the next podcast, man? <laughs> well, the other topic that we could jump off onto, which I think is the actual crux of this conversation is like the answer to the question, has the internet changed how we consume art is yes, unequivocally, as the internet has changed almost everything. Consuming various types of visual art on the internet 
could be good or could be bad. It could be, um, it could be superficial and a simple distraction, or it could be meaningful, or it could be in in a in a way that wasn't possible before, like with generative or animated stuff. The bigger question, what I think is the root of the issue, is where platforms and algorithms get involved. And I think what you were poking at before overlaps with the point that I was previously making about just hordes of people showing up on the internet scrolling Instagram who previously did not have the attention span to go to a gallery in the first place. <laughs> However, their interaction on that platform is extremely meaningful for what gets surfaced to most people. It, it creates what we now call like trending topics. Like those right. trends are driven by millions of people who don't have the attention span for art and like hey maybe that's not what instagram is for anyway perhaps although it's been a great platform for some of the photographers out there if you can rise to the top by what being homogenous on purpose being first it seems like for the most part and then if not first uh absolutely exceptional or having a following outside of instagram and then driving that following to instagram which is probably the way that most new people on there are getting up, right? They have a YouTube following. They have a physical following, right? Because they do events or whatever. And then that that grows their Instagram following. Um, I think it's very hard to just to grow a, a massive Instagram following uh, today. I think the question to ask yourself as an artist is, if I can find people who want to follow me on Instagram, is that where I want people to be finding me at all? It, what is the value of that platform versus others? I'm not saying platforms aren't allowed or anything, but I wonder I wonder how much, and this would be a great question to ask somebody who's found a ton of success on Instagram, because I'm, right. I'd be curious to know, were they first and they were like, well, I'm already, I'm already here. Or if you had to do it again, would you do it differently? I mean, we've talked about this before. I think as a visual artist, Instagram is like pretty close to the bottom of the list of like platforms that yeah. do art justice. It's like pretty terrible. Correct. Yeah. Right. So basically everything's better, but yes. Yeah. Basically everything is better. So is it, I mean, this is the question is like, if it takes all this effort, potentially money, certainly effort on, on forming the way you present your work so that it displays well there and whatever else, is it worth that effort to generate an audience on Maybe that platform? Maybe not any, probably not now. Um, the answer was probably resounding yes, several years ago, but you, you hear people talk about now who, who had a big following, but then the algorithm changed and then their their you know engagement goes down because the algorithm doesn't favor them anymore and all of a sudden you know they're producing the same high quality interesting work but now the algo has switched and they didn't like pivot their artistic style because people shouldn't do that and you know they start losing followers they start losing engagement um which leads to the next sort of interesting sidecar and may this be a different topic for a whole podcast but this came up in my news feed yesterday the day before. Um, it was a discussion on YouTube about the strain that photographers and creators are under now. Because if you're a creator, well, you got to have a YouTube channel. Yep. And you got to post the shorts on YouTube and you're going to post the TikTok as well. And then Instagram and Twitter are a must, you know, like three or four posts a day plus stories. And then, oh, Vero is a thing now. So we got to post over there and, you know, keep the website updated. And by the time you do all your social media every day, the day's over. 
And like being a creator now entitled means like, I'm just going to try to keep up with the, the nine social platforms that are out there. And it's becoming a, or it is, or it probably has been for some time, a burden for many of these folks. Yeah, that's a trend. Um, I'm, I run a coaching business and I'm word of mouth marketed. I don't buy advertising and I've talked to tons of people about digital marketing and how to do this. And a, like a very strong piece of advice was pick one network and go with that. If you're going to be on LinkedIn, just be on LinkedIn. Don't try to be on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube, like all at the same time. And I think that's a difficult choice. I think if you can get enough traction on one, hopefully you can convert that into business that helps pay for, literally like pay for labor to cross post things on other networks. Right. I don't know how hard it is to do a vertical video and put it on TikTok and YouTube shorts, but I imagine it's not impossible. I, I think what becomes really challenging is the people who use these different networks, and I'm one of them, we go to the different networks for different reasons and they have different feelings. The feeling of Twitter is very different than the feeling of Reddit. They just have a different sure. culture. And if you if you post in a way that doesn't respect that, you won't gain the following of the people who are there for that reason. It's probably better for you not to, or do it in a totally automatic, superficial way. So it's obvious to everyone that you're just saying, this is a YouTube video that I put up. You're posting a tweet. This is my YouTube video. Click here to go to YouTube to see it because I don't actually do Twitter. I'm just here right. to like let you know because you use Twitter. I don't know. I think that's a tricky one. I think as a creator, you have to figure out how much effort do you want to put into bespoke content that's made for each network where it really shines on that network for a specific reason versus if you're just looking for as many eyeballs as possible, you're going to have to hire some interns. I mean, it's so interesting that like a well-paying job now is like a social media manager and in a large enough place, like you might be at one of a couple people who literally post, comment, reply all day long across all the yeah, platforms. Yeah, 100%. And, and that approach also, I mean, full disclosure, I worked for HubSpot. They're essentially at their core, they're a marketing company, a digital marketing company. And the uh, the philosophy that they espouse and that their tools are built to support is what they call inbound marketing, which the idea of that is attracting customers to you by being super vocal everywhere online about what that thing is. And they are very good at it. They have a whole team of people that just post blogs and tweets and LinkedIn posts all day long. And it works very well. Their, their, their organic SEO is very good. But like... That's the difference between being a company that's selling a thing and hiring a bunch of people to market the thing versus being somebody who creates something for the, the joy of creating and sharing a thing. And it shouldn't have to be all embroiled in the marketing aspect because that's what it is. If you're cross-posting on different social media networks, that's basically marketing. For sure. Right? I think so. I, I mean, when does it... This topic. Well, when does, it stop, when does it stop being art and start being advertising? Like if you, if you like I mean, Peter, Mc, it, we, we talked about Peter McKinnon before he makes yep. incredible videos, like they're cinematic, gorgeous, well-edited, well-color graded videos. Yep. And they play really well on YouTube. They don't belong anywhere else. Like Peter's on Instagram where he posts his stills and it's, they're totally different. That's a totally different thing than I mean, he, he talked about how he, 
he had this like realization, right? As long as we're going to bring this up where for a year or more, he was making work that was just for Instagram. Like he'd go out and he wouldn't say like, I'm at this beautiful location. It's a sunset. There's a lake, there's a mountain, there's ice and snow. It's gorgeous. How do I make the best image? Oh no. How do I make the best vertical image that I can crop for Instagram? Maybe leave some room for words and, you know, color grade it in a way that like fits with like what's being posted today on Instagram. And, and he talked about this in some of his videos, right? Where he was, he was making work specifically for Instagram, right? And it was changing the way he created art. And then, you know, you hit on it before that like we're all kind of beholden to these algorithms. And, you know, you see this, right? Like one, one kid gets a clear glass ball goes to the beach and makes a photo. And a week later, there are literally a million photos of clear glass balls being held up to sunrises and sunsets and water reflections and, and literally everything else. And, you, you know, like, great. Like, if, if you enjoy doing that, awesome, right? If you want to try to make the best version of that possible, like, that's cool. If you want to make the most average version of that and post it for your friends, like, also cool. Like, I'm not against that. But, you know, you, you you dig a little bit into some of these guys and and you read what they, they they post and like they're obviously aspiring to be creators and I fear that some of them are just you know trying to keep up with the Joneses or in this case the algorithm and it's like it's a losing battle right I think Instagram actually created the cityscape shot through a hole in a chain link fence genre. Whether whether the chain link really has whether there's a hole or not, right? Like there's literally you can go out and you can get images of fences that are already masked, so I can take my cityscape photo and just throw the fence in front of it, right? Like someone made that they they were selling them. Someone made a business out of selling a really well masked fence photo, so that any cityscape you have could then have a fence put in front of it, so you can shoot through it. And this is the problem I have. Like, I understand it has broadened the world. It's exposed more people to art. It's just, it's allowed artists to expose their work to more people. There's lots of great benefits, but there is this other side to it, uh, which is which is humanity. It's our desire to be accepted in some social structure, and and our and uh, you know our our greed and desire for success in some ways, like. I, th- I think there's a difference between somebody like Peter McKinnon. He decides to start taking photos specifically for Instagram. Okay. If he aspires to have a great looking Instagram grid for whatever reason, I'm not sure if that will make, I don't, I'm not sure if that will attract followers for him, but it might give him some sense of satisfaction that he's created this grid and he did it organically by planning ahead and like, blah, 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 blah. And maybe that stretched his creativity in some ways because he was bending himself into that mold versus somebody who's like, I'm going to create a pre-masked chain link fence layer that you could put in Photoshop. So you could put a chain link fence in front of any picture. Like that's, that's like, that's a land grab, like equivalent for digital art, right? There's nothing authentic about that. You know, you said something interesting, right? You said, you know, like we as humans strive to be accepted and as like one of like, like, you know, as part of this pack here, and I'm trying to think of a of a known like contemporary artist who would who would fall into that. And like most of my examples, I think would 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 want the opposite, right? They're, they don't choose. They make art because they want to make art, not because they're looking for validation or acceptance or or really anything else, right? But everybody wants to find their people. Like I think that's what the internet 
used to do better, and this is maybe another topic to branch off on, but um, it used to be that you could post a blog and write about whatever weird niche stuff you were into. And eventually the people who liked the same weird niche stuff would come to your blog and eventually you'd get advertisers or sponsors or have some way to monetize that or you could sell things to those people or whatever. And then what happened was we figured out how to do ad retargeting. And now now the ads segment themselves. Like you and I go to the same website, we see different ads, right? We do. I think this podcast is over. (laughs) Well, you go hang out with your son. And thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time. Let me finish. It's a good place to end, I think. Yeah, yeah. What was my thought? I forgot what I was saying. Whatever. Fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Until next time. Wait. Has the internet changed how we consume art? Yes. Absolutely. For the better? Sometimes. Sometimes. I think that's... The conclusion is, yes, it has changed how we consume art. Sometimes it's better. Other times it's worse. And also, it seems like what really makes things less good is algorithms and recommendation systems because it warps what people see. Does that seem fair? Sure does. Couldn't agree more. All right. See you again next week. See you guys. Well, that was fun. Maybe.